This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, wishing everyone a happy Chinese New Year. If you're listening to us, you're driving somewhere on the app or, of course, on our website as well. It is 7.06. It's Tuesday. It's the 13th of February. And in the studio joining me for going their Chinese New Year festivities is Keith Kam, Philip C and I, Wong Shaoning. And I realised at 6.45, but you didn't introduce your gentleman. Terrible. But just a fun fact, <laughs> did you know that two pineapple, pineapple tarts is equivalent to going for one body pump class? Uh, I, I I looked at these very sad statistics, like one piece <laughs> of kuekape is equivalent to how many yes. push-ups, you know, uh, one little kue bakul is equivalent to like, don't know how much, and after a while I was like, just forget uh, it, forget I, it, it's once I, a year, okay, just go for it. I think we're going to have to work out until the end, until until the, until the, the next Chinese the New Year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> 24-7 to make up for all this. Uh, but nonetheless, we are here to keep you company right up to 10am. But in the next half an hour, we'll be discussing how UMNO's leadership and grassroots are reacting to the Pardons Board's decision to shorten Datuk Sri Najib Razak's sentence. But let's recap how global markets that were open closed yesterday. That were open closed yesterday, yeah. Wall Street was mixed as uh, investors awaited fresh inflation and earnings data. The Dow Jones was up 0.3%, which is actually at a new high. The S&P 500 was down 0.1%, while down it still stayed above 5,000 points. The Nasdaq was down 0.3%. And uh, the rest of Asia yesterday was generally closed. Yeah, I think only Australia and New Zealand were trading yesterday. And in fact, a lot of markets remain closed uh, this week. For example, Hong Kong, I think, only opens again on the 14. Uh, China reopens only on the 19. But nonetheless, for some insights on what, where international markets are heading, we speak to Joe Kunan, Chief Market Strategist at the US Trust Bank of America Private Wealth Management. Good morning, Joe. Always good to speak to you. Now, we've hit some new record highs. This morning, the Dow hit a new high, while the S&P 500 closed above the key 5,000 mark last Friday. What do you think about this rally? Does it still have legs? Uh, the rally has legs, but those legs are getting shorter and shorter. I mean, we're, we we pulled forward a lot of good news. So I wouldn't say the market's ahead of itself, but uh, in some cases, in certain stocks, it is. It has been, but you know the expectation: the Fed cuts rate, earnings rebound continues. We got good growth, inflation. We get the CPI readings this week. So, the problem here is, you know, any little hiccup could make make for a bigger, big downdraft. So, be be careful here. The big question in my mind is: Is there a big uh, dissociation between Wall Street and Main Street, especially with S and P five hundred? You know, you know, covering a lot of consumer retail stocks. Are you seeing a disassociation there? I mean, you know, not necessarily. You, you can have that disconnect, the markets from the economy. But this, I think the markets are coming around to the fact no recession. Interest rates are headed lower. Inflation, I think, has peaked as well. We're not there just yet. So I think the markets are a little ahead maybe in the technology sector. But, you know, the other 493 companies have some catch-up to do, and that's going to be the key. The key story this year in the U.S. will be can the other 493 catch up? And I think they will, but not to the extent, obviously, the Magnificent Seven. Now we're down to mm. six, by the way. We're, we're going to have a countdown now. It's seven, <laughs> now we're six. We'll see how Three, it goes. Three, one. <laughs> yeah. And then it's over. Yeah. Wait, if you talk about catch up, then which sectors then will really catch up the most and the least? You know, energy's getting a good bid because of the M&A. We still like industrials. Small caps are back in favor now in terms of assets. But, uh, you know, financials got a little bit of a bid here. 
consumer discretionary. So it's becoming broader based, but it, it's still not it's not convincing just yet. I, I thought by now, mid February, kind of the, uh, the the breadth of the market would be better. But maybe it's because these mega tech companies just keep crushing it, and everyone's jumping on board. Uh, Joe, you mentioned the word hiccup just now. It kind of like struck a bit of fear in me. What hiccups do we look out for? I mean, anything, I think between now, the, the key, we're going to finish up earnings. Um, anything, we get a, a rough CPI. It, it, the markets are still expecting the Fed to cut rates by June. Thought it was March, and I kicked it back to June. If there's anything that suggests that the Fed can't cut rates by summer, then that could be the hiccups. And then investors think like, wow, we're going to go through most of this year at this level, the Fed funds level. And that, you know, that creates its own stress and strain. Commercial real estate is still struggling. We're going to see some companies go under because they can't afford the cost of capital. This is why the small cap rally hasn't taken off because higher real rates keeps people weary. So anything that pushes the Fed's cut outlook to cut rates, that's a major hiccup. Joe, some of the consumer names are releasing this week, like Kraft and Instacart, but we already saw names from Chiplote, Chiplote, Chiplote? Chipotle. Chipotle and McDonald's. Mm-hmm. So what does it say about the strength of the retail sentiment in the U.S. economy? I think there, it's, we're, it, it's still sturdy. I would say it's come back a little bit here. A lot of people spent in, in the holiday season, so we're going to have a little pause here. We're starting to see credit card delinquencies back up a little same with auto loans so there's some little some cracks showing up in the credit stress part of the equation but as long as we have the unemployment rate below four percent real wages are rising Mm -hmm. and people have access to credit because we love credit here in the united states we'll be okay but i do think retail sales you know we pulled forward a lot of that demand and Joe, you know, there will be a raft of CPI and PPI data, you know, in the coming days. Will they show that U.S. inflation is on its way to its 2% target for the Fed to then before to cut rates? I think it will. I mean, we're, we're seeing the economy slow down. We're seeing companies lay off. We're seeing wage moderation. So I do think we're heading in the right direction with PPI, CPI, PCE. We have so many metrics. Believe me, we'll find one that actually works and is heading in the right direction. <laughs> think of it that way. And we'll all hang our hats on it. But no, in, in general, you know, there, there's some inflation at the grocery store. That's a big political problem for the Biden administration. But in general, the bottle chain supply necks are behind us. If you need a car, you can find it. Semiconductors, we have plenty of them. So I, can, I think we're continuing towards that 2% target. And Joe, uh, Germany, which is Europe's economic powerhouse, they're struggling to find some kind of traction with industrial product production tracking downwards in December. What do you think are the biggest factors dragging growth downwards, and can they recover from from those this year? And it's a great question. Germany is very interesting. I mean, Germany's leveraged more to China and the United States than they are Germany. So the Germans aren't spending; they're worried about the war, higher energy costs. A lot of deindustrialization, a lot of companies just picking up and leaving Germany. So Germany itself, the real economy, I think, continues to struggle. But some of these big mega cap companies that are global in nature, they're in Malaysia, they're in China, they're across the world. I think they can weather the storm. But the German economy is struggling, where I think some of these other companies, if they're leveraged to China, things work out there, or the U.S., 
they'll be okay. But it's very dicey. And it's important because it's Europe's largest economy. And Europe's largest economy is a big, big global laggard. Yeah, so exactly that, Joe. The GDP forecast, or at least the Bloomberg one, is consensus is just 0.2% for this year. Are they going to be the reason why Europe will still remain the weak man? For sure. Yeah, and 0.2%, come on, that's a rounding error, right? That, that's basically flat, however we want to cut it. Um, yeah, there, Europe is the weak link uh, transatlantically, but you know, I'm not convinced China uh, is on its way back either. So of the big three, U.S., China, and the EU, that's about 70% of world GDP. The U.S. is clearly leading. I mean, we're slowing down, but we're leading the rest of the pack. That's why our markets are outperforming. But Europe is a problem. It is is a problem for a lot of companies to to work through in 2024. But are they still gems among the listed coasts? Because, like you say, some of them have a global presence rather than a European-centric one. Well, I mean, some gems like you know, I can't recommend stocks, but mm-hmm. you know, Novo Nordos, and I'm, I'm not recommending that stock, but you know, that weight loss kind of component luxury, high-end luxury brands in, in, in France. I mean, they do well. Um, you know, so you really, Europe is a stock-picking market, whereas the U.S., you could buy a broader ETF and get good exposure. So yeah, there's some winners in Europe for sure, but they're few and far between, and there's just a lot of laggers. And, and we didn't talk about, you know, the electronic vehicles, the solar panels. You know, Europe's in the headlights of a lot of oncoming Chinese goods that could really create a lot of problems in Europe in terms of production and unemployment and income. So keep your, keep your eye on that. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was Joe Quinlan, Chief Market Strategist at the U.S. Trust Bank of America Private Wealth Management, saying that Europe is definitely the sick man mm. when it comes to the major global economies, uh, which explains why the U.S. market continues mm. to rally because it's all down to relative, right? Which which country is doing better than the rest? Mm. You did say there were some gems in Europe, particularly those that are vanity-related. Uh, weight loss, a novo novdis with the Bogovi, I think, uh, drug. And also all those luxury brands, right, Shaoning? Yeah, well, Novo is, has become Europe's most valuable company, taking over from LVMH. They took that crown recently. I think, but that, this is not just restricted when it comes to anti-obesity drugs, right? Even mm. Eli Lilly has rallied recently on the back of this their drugs. I think there's something like 72, uh, 7,200 trials going on at the moment. It's huge business. Huge actually. business, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially as you saw recently in the Oscars last year, all talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> or at least making fun about it. Uh, but what is really rallying while we were all just enjoying ourselves during Chinese New Year is Bitcoin. Uh, it surged to 50,000 for the first time since 2021. Okay, so the reports are saying it's due to the demand coming from the exchange-traded funds. Uh, but I'm just going to state outright, I have no clue. I really have no <laughs> clue as well. I mean, the, 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 the thing with cryptocurrencies is that it moves the way it wants to move. And that's basically it. And if you're lucky, you, you just get caught on the right wave and you just ride it. And if you're unlucky, you just sink. But, so it's, and and that, that in lies the cautionary uh, word as well. Yeah, that is the, the tale of cryptocurrencies, right? But this morning, it's down a little bit. Uh, it's 49944 US dollars, only up 17.5%. I was... I just remember saying this was up on a year-to-date basis, like 1-2%. Yes. And then now it's 17.5%. All I can say is that this happened 
during the four days or three, three days we were on leave <laughs> and voila, we come back to this. It, it's riding the dragon, I think. I think it's riding the dragon. I, I, who knows? Ether also up 16%. Of course, uh, both of them usually move in tandem. So watch this space, but it's really quite... It is incredible because if you think they actually had a base of a huge increase from last year, yeah? And I wonder if this is a fact that, you know, cash savings rates are still very high in the United States, so you don't know what to do and deploy your cash, right? So they're just deploying here, but will this all be able to sustain once we see those savings deplete? Uh, well, I don't know. Um... The price is still below the all-time high of almost 69000 that was reached in November 2021. So we're not even close to that. But maybe if we just wake up next month, it would be at 69000 or might hit you a new all-time low. Around as well. yeah. yeah, so caveat I'm told. Uh, but let's turn our attention to private equity firm Blackstone. They intend to merge a pair of warehouse landlords. It took private to create one of UK's largest owners of industrial property. It will integrate some modern and industrial REITs to create a company called Endurant. They own more than 200 properties spanning about 26 million square feet and it will become the third largest owner of logistic property in the UK. Blackstone Blackstone has invested £2.1 billion uh, in the development pipelines of St. Modwin and Industrials Industrials REIT since their acquisition. And this firm is betting on the transformation of global supply chains to drive further growth in warehouse rents, which have soared in recent years. And this move could potentially pave the way for the NC's eventual sale or an IPO. I find it ironic that they think the UK is at the epicentre of this whole global supply chain transformation, right? We just got the UK out of the Brexit. So I'm really quite keen to see how Blackstone views the UK as a potential supply chain logistics hub then? I think it's down to valuations. When mm, the private equity enter the space, right, they are looking at the arbitrage opportunity and how soon they Perhaps. can monetize this. So maybe the deal came to them at such a lucrative price, they just could not say no. And then they did their maths because it's all financial engineering, right? It's my cost of capital versus the yield. In five years' time, when I re-monetize this, whether it's an IPO or trade sale, I'm quite sure I can do. I can make a profit. Mm. It's just really down to that. It's all, to, all down to the money. It's interesting, right? Because returns of private equity have dropped quite a bit, right? Last year was quite a terrible year for them. Yeah, there were not many deals and a high interest rate environment doesn't suit them. Now, in about half an hour, we'll discuss whether the seemingly unstoppable US tech rally is sustainable. Uh, but let's take... Uh, we're off to some messages. Keep it here. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.